Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring you the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today I'm so pleased to have my longtime friend and yes. business strategic partner, Lorraine Buffalco. Lorraine. Thank you. One of the only people who actually knows how to pronounce my name, which is delightful. <laughs> that testament to how long we've known each other. Correct. And then Vantaggio. Yes. I remember the sign I, I, I found in Roaming the Streets of Italy. It's the background of my computer. It's framed in, in several of the places yeah. that I frequent. So yes, thank you. My pleasure. So today, the topic of today, um, I'm going to intro Lorraine a bit. I'm going to let her tell more of her, of her technical background. But what we're going to discuss today I think is very timely for anyone who um, has employees and is dealing with the results of COVID. Yeah, that's yeah, a big issue. Big issue. I know in California, and I know you're versed na- nationwide. We'll focus on California, and then we'll sprinkle in states as needed. Yeah. Um, 25 years? I think it might be more than that. Um, I think our company is going on. We're going to be celebrating soon our 30th year in business. But I think we're around 27, 28 right now. I stopped counting a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) It was ruining my ability to say I was 29. You know, there's no correlation to our age and the age of our business, right? Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. complete separation. Awesome. (laughs) So Vantaggio HR is an independent HR consulting firm. Exactly. You have been running for X number of years. A number of years, yeah, more than five. And you are the go-to for companies who do not want to do human resources in-house. That is one of the things that we do. Certainly a lot of our client companies are of a size or based on whatever happens to be going on in their world, it doesn't make sense for them to have their own in-house HR, and we do fulfill that function. But we also work with a lot of companies that have internal HR but come to us for, say, a special project. Okay, like employee handbooks or the likes? Employee handbooks or um, training or compensation studies or auditing and uh, building out HR departments. It could be a wide variety of things. So we've worked with some pretty large companies and some very small ones as well. And I know you won't say this yourself, but I I have known, I have witnessed um, employee, employee, kind of labor law, labor law attorneys come to you for for (laughs) advice. They they sometimes do. Yes, it's a big, uh, Crystal, one of the gals on our team was telling a story to our staff yesterday about this particular attorney that I will have to say we don't terribly refer him very much anymore. But she said whenever we would be in a client meeting, he wouldn't say anything. He would just say, yo, when I would, when Lorraine would say with something, he'd say, well, I agree with her. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'll take that as a, as a big compliment. Thank you. Yes, it is. It is. Um, So anything more on the, on the I'll call it the technical background that uh, the center should know. Well, just that we've been in business for you know upwards of 25 years. We've got a staff of about 10, 12 people. Um, we're multi-state. We have employees in uh, Seattle, Las Vegas, NorCal, San Diego, and a couple of offices in Hawaii as well, and Denver. I always forget about Denver. So Don't forget about Denver. We've expanded our footprint across the country, which is something I'm going to touch upon that is coming out of COVID as well when we get more into that. Okay. Okay. And I now do recall one of your services as well. It's probably not one of your favorites, but you sometimes are brought in to not only hire people, but also to 
to help terminate exit people. people. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's it's gives me a stomach ache every time I do it because yeah. it's somebody for whatever the reasons are is going home without a job that day. But I think myself and my firm we do it in a way that's kind and compassionate and yep. helps keep the risk for our clients low and. You know, it's a little bit easier to be dispassionate about it when it's not your right. relationship, your employee. I'm right. sure I'm not anywhere near as good at it when I'm having to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> a different story. Yeah, the shoemaker's kids. So. so let's let's kind of get into it. There, um, COVID has changed our lives, everyone's lives, in so many different ways. Yep. Um, as an employer, I mean, count the ways. I, there are things that I've experienced myself and that I'm hearing. Um, I've been exposed to COVID, so I need to stay home. The CDC says, pick a number. I know that changes, whatever it, it changes, is today. Yes. So let's say it's five days, five California days right now, okay, typically with some caveats, but yeah. So um, pay me, I'm at home, I don't have to work. Um, I'm just gonna throw these things out and I yeah, want you yeah. to, uh, and then I've kind of something I'm dealing with. Um, I feel I should be able to work at home because so-and-so is working at home because so-and-so feels like, you know, she may have been exposed, so. Yeah. I feel like I should work at home. So where is there, is there guidelines yet? Is there, there... there are guidelines. And, and let me take a step back to um, what's well, not last year anymore. We're, we're going into two years of this, right? Yeah. And I think the, the biggest earth mover that happened with companies was, you know, the country going under lockdown, whether it be your city, your state, whatever, where a lot of places we were forced into quarantine businesses had to cease operations abruptly, or they had to at least deploy their people to work from home very abruptly. Uh, People in my office literally came in, picked up their workstations and put them in their car and went home, and we thought that was going to be for a few weeks. And I think that the the first shockwave for employers was that. What do we do? Are are we furloughing people? And what is a furlough? Are we laying people off? And there was that whole portion of 2020 where I was on the phone from 8 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night with some were current clients, some were friends of friends, some were employment attorneys we work with. I said, I know this person isn't a client of yours, but they desperately need to talk to somebody. And and many of us were panicked. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know if our businesses were going to be left standing. We didn't know. We wanted to treat people well, not only as an employer, but as a human being. And not put people in harm's way. And that figuring out what to do and how to reorganize on a dime like that, I think was very, very challenging. That happened concurrent with something we've not seen in an extremely long period of time, which was we're in California very used to having about a gazillion pieces of new legislation every year. On the federal level, that doesn't tend to be the case. The federal government moves more slowly. We don't have earth-shattering new developments. And boy, in 2020, they were busy. <laughs> and, yeah. and we had new laws from, you know, the the incentive programs that were put in place, like the PPP plan and different SBA loans, to um, the, the, uh, the, the subsidies that need, that were available to people to get when they went on unemployment benefits. And um, it, it was just kind of earth-shattering with the amount of information that was being thrown at employers about what you can and can't do, coupled with, like I said, the stuff that was being thrown at human beings, right, about what we could and shouldn't do. And it was a tough time. It was a tough time. And people seemed to have needed information at a much quicker pace and and more immediate. 
Yeah. You know, gone were the days for us as a firm where, oh, my consultant X, Y, or Z is at your office's BART to handle your HR every Tuesday afternoon from three to five. It was, you were not waiting until Tuesday at three. You know, it was stop, we call it stop, drop, and consult. So it was a a tough time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And has it, it, I don't know, tempered down a little? It's tempered down, right? I would say- Have you staffed up? A little bit. We've staffed up. Yeah, we increased staff probably 30% during COVID. Um, And from the day that it all went down and I thought, am I going out of business? Are my clients going (laughs) out of business? Are they, my clients maybe not going out of business, but will they stop sending us their checks? (laughs) You know, we actually had a pretty big surge and increased need for us. And I think not just from, uh, well, there were certainly the people that knew us needed that help, but there were people that all of a sudden we're sensitized to how big of a deal HR can be. And maybe in ordinary times, oh, should I be updating my handbook was less yeah. of a poignant issue for them. But when all of this was happening, they they recognized that having someone as a resource that could help provide right. guidance on some of this crazy stuff was important. Yeah, <clears throat> whose handbook had um, had elements of, uh, this is what you do during a pandemic. You know, interestingly enough, in the handbooks that we do write for clients, we have for very many years. Do you remember when we were worried about the bird flu a yeah. number of years ago? And there have been, you know, pandemic scares before. But we have always in the handbooks we've, we've written given clients this opportunity to insert in policy on contagious illnesses in the workplace. <laughs> really? No one ever wanted one of those. I mean, <laughs> few and far between were yeah. the people that wanted that policy in their handbook. Yeah. And now, I mean, we were frankly giving those policies away for free to people yeah. during the, the crisis because everybody needed them. Yeah. 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 And mandatory vaccination policies, we would never have thought about that so many years. So, you know, only two years ago, right? So let's let's start breaking down some of this. Yeah, um, let's talk about it. The work from home, let's start there. Let's start there, start there. yeah. So what what is the, is there a rule? Uh, is there a rule? Not really. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a great start. We, we live in we live in a world where everything is more gray than it used to be. So, yeah. uh, working from home, telecommuting, you know, uh, used to be something that companies considered maybe only certain companies would consider maybe a perk or a privilege or a very unique situation where yeah. you we need we're in California but we found this person who's fabulous and she lives in Kansas and we're going to hire her. She's going to work from an office in Kansas. Yeah. But it was really not the norm. That was another policy, telecommuting, which very few people needed and now everyone does. And then we were, because of the quarantine mandates, um, companies that would in a million years not have considered allowing for telework or working from home um, opened it up as a possibility, right, or, or even a necessity at the time. And there is still currently no requirement that you allow people to work from home. You, you don't have to. If you as the employer say, hey, given the facts and circumstances around my business, it doesn't work operationally for me or, and I'm going to say I've seen many people like this that just say, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel like I don't have enough visibility and control over what my staff are doing. You don't have to permit it. Okay. Let's break that down. So that's good information. You're welcome. (laughs) He's like, ooh, note to self. Note to self. (laughs) Now, what if, is there a, um, for lack of a better term, like a like-like? So let's say you, as we mentioned earlier, we, you let someone, there's a situation where someone works from home. Can another employee say, well, you know, 
Sally is working from home. Another, Can I work from home? Yeah, it's a great question. Another employee could say that. And if you, and this this is where we, we now delve into the deep gray, but if you didn't have a good justified reason for saying no to the person who said, but Sally's doing it, how come I can't do it? Would you open the door up for that person to whom you said no, claim that you were making the decision based on a discriminatory or an improper reason, right? Oh, you Ugh. said yes to her because she's a young white female, yeah. and you said no to me because I'm an over 40 Hispanic yeah. person of a certain, you know, other. So you've got to be careful as an employer that you've got, um, you're either looking at classes of employees that you would permit, and when I say class, I mean, you know, your sales staff versus your office people, or or you've got some other good operational foundation for making that kind of decision. And, and then, you know, to kind of go further into the gray of, of your question, we, we have a lot of restrictions placed on companies right now about um, if, we're, if we're checking for vaccine status and having to quarantine people and having to accommodate people that come forward that either have COVID or might have a religious or medical reason why they can't test, why they can't get vaccinated. And one of the big things that has been pretty universally at this point now accepted as a, at least a potential accommodation for someone that might need accommodation would be permitting work from home. So anyone that wanted to categorically say in all circumstances, never, we can't allow you to work from home, yeah. might run afoul of some of those things yeah. I just discussed. Let's break down some of those things. Yeah, <laughs> but it does sure. Now, um, so fascinating. So... Work from home does take care of a lot of the other things, right? You just named off about ten things that you don't have to worry about. It does solve say, a lot of. Home. It does solve <laughs> a lot of problems. Yeah. It, it poses a lot of others, but it does yeah. pose some of those immediate ones. You know. So, now, from the best that I can track with the news, the um, vaccination um, mandatory statement that is a state driven. <sighs> For now. Now, I'm sure you and everyone else has heard that President Biden back in the fall had asked to, he had a multi-pronged plan about how he was going to fight COVID. One of the elements in his plan was that employers with more than 100 employees were going to be required to ensure that their employees were vaccinated or get tested weekly. That he issued a directive to OSHA to issue those regulations. It's been challenged and I could I could speak. I find it fascinating what's happening legally right now yeah. with it. But it got challenged. It ended up at the United States Supreme Court. And if you look uncarefully at the information on online, for example, you would think that the Supreme Court killed that. They simply sort of said temporarily no. So that mandate has now been sent back to lower courts. I just read this morning that OSHA is not taking no for an answer, which I'm a little surprised at, and they are trying to move forward with a new mandate that they will come out with. So we're still living in very much a world of flux. At the current time right now, that ability for a government to say, you must or you must make sure your employees are vaccinated, that does currently reside at the state level. So uh, I- And it does not yet reside in, it does not, Reside in California. Leave the word not that yet. Out. Although I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't and, be. Ex- I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm going to leave cynicism and uh, out and try to talk from pure science. 
Is the 100 employees a magic number that you know of some way, no, somehow? No, it's, it's not really. And that was, it was frankly, if, if you got a chance to read any of the, um, the, the dialogue that went on with the Supreme Court justices when they were deliberating, they were really supposed to be deciding about whether the six districts court had reached an appropriate decision in permitting that to move forward. They weren't necessarily supposed to be opining on whether they thought vaccines were good or bad or whether yeah. they felt that that employers should or should not be able to require vaccinations, but their personal views on those things came forward. And frankly, in the opinion that did get delivered, I don't remember which one, but one of the, for the majority, one of the Supreme Court justices did make the point about that's kind of arbitrary. Like, like what? Like, why, why, if you work at a company with 99, do you not have to get vaccinated? That right. was so, my point with that. Yeah, it was a very yeah. good point. Not a lot of people have, have spoken about that, yeah. and I'm not surprised you wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the um, quarantine. Okay. So what is the current status of the law on, I've been, ex- I come to, I call you as an employer and say, I have been exposed and by the way, what is definition of exposed is okay. you know, Danielle that's six feet from me right now? Six, six feet for 15 minutes cumulative when you are in what's considered your highly contagious period. So it goes well, there back is a real to definition. There is a real definition. Within, and that's, in six that's feet. the CDC. That's the, the United States, right? Centers for Disease Control. But in California, I hear some people call them the California CDC. It's actually the California Department of Public (laughs) Health. And we have our own, because we're California, we always have to have our own slightly different definition. So yes, it is six feet of, within six feet of contact for 15 minutes when the person is in their highly contagious period. And that's determined, and I'll get very tech, I'm not going to get very technical here, but that's determined about when you either tested positive or when you first showed symptoms, being the person with whom I had the contact. All right, so we're in a room here. We're in a room Danielle's here. Danielle's six feet-ish. We're, we're six, the three of us, if one of us ends up showing symptoms and then testing positive for COVID, we're going to today have had direct contact. And it um, showing symptoms in what, 24 hours from now, 48 hours from now? It does. There isn't a timeline for when you begin to show symptoms. So let's say a week from now. A week from now, I yes. I get symptoms. A week from I now, you get symptoms. You. You, you contact both of us. If I were your employer and I knew that you had this contact with me and Danielle today, and a week from now, you start showing symptoms. I then have some proactive steps as an employer that I need to take. Okay. So it's and and what's become complicated even more so. I more than before that. <laughs> before we sat down, I asked you how com- how technical yeah. are we going to get cuz yeah. if you want to take I a see peek, your screen there. I have a chart. I have a chart that shows side by side what are the CDC rules, what are the California Department of Health rules? And then of course we can't just leave it with California Department of Public Health. We have Cal OSHA that has to step in and have their slightly different version of all these things. We have, as an employer, different rules for an employee who tests positive and for what period of time do we have to exclude that person from, from work and what are the conditions for returning to work. Then we have a separate category of people that came into direct contact with someone who tested positive. And that dovetails into two separate groups and we treat people differently if they're either unvaccinated or vaccinated. 
And then a further subset is whether you have been vaccinated and have gotten your booster or not. So I literally, when clients call me up, I have to go to my own chart. You would think I would know this stuff inside and out. I have to go look it up on the chart. And something tells me it doesn't, it's not stagnant. It's not stagnant. Um, The CDC updated their recommendations. You know, we've probably all been living with a, it's a 10 day quarantine for quite a long time. The CDC back in early December updated their recommendations it took California Department of Public Health a little while longer. Um, Cal OSHA updated their rules end of December, only to have California Department of Public Health in the beginning days of January update their rules. And then Cal OSHA came back and said to us, well, you know our rule, new rules from a couple of days ago that we had all just digested? And they said, well, part of them still stand, but part of them we're going we're gonna to align with California Department of Public Health. So keeping on track of it. I mean, we're HR professionals. We And I particularly, compliance is kind of my area for our company. This is what I do all day long. And it is really hard to stay on top of it. Do those rules and regulations apply to a particular size company or nope. any company? Any company. Yeah. The Cal OSHA rules that are in existence right now, it's, it's called an emergency temporary standard. It's an ETS that applies to all employers in California, regardless of size. Now, there are some exceptions. There are industries that that deal with aerosol products that have their own regulations. Um, A a workplace, if an employee is working completely from home and has no contact with other individuals, we don't have quarantine mandates and and the kinds of things that I'm talking about. But for the most part, it's, it's everybody, even the very small company with only a couple of employees. It's it's a bit mind numbing right now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what's an employer to do? And I mean, step one, I guess, is contact you. Oh yeah, contact us. But you know, there's there's really good information online. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to pitch my services yeah. here. You know, if somebody be careful about looking at just blogs with people expressing their opinion. But you know, if you were to get on the Cal OSHA website or the California Department of Labor, who's our labor commissioner, they actually have pretty good information out there. They have got Q and A's where they walk you through what you know specific circumstances of what you do in different scenarios. It uh, there, there's good information out there, but there's there's yeah. bad information out there too. And and then just one final thing, just to round this out, is that when you as an employer then do have to exclude someone from the workplace, either because they have tested positive or they have been in contact with someone, there are rules regarding how and when and what you have to pay them. And and we're finding some of our clients are wanting to chuck rotten tomatoes at us when we talk about this concept called exclusion pay. And they say, well, we can just make them use their sick time, right? No. No? It's not PTO or what... PTO, the the question is, it's still a big question mark. The California Labor Commissioner has said that when you have excluded an employee from the workplace and and because of of a COVID exposure or COVID positive, you can't force them to use their ordinary California sick pay that's mandated by law. But if you have a separate plan and policy that goes above and beyond that, you could make them use that. There's still a lot of debate about it. Otherwise, it's just pay the regular salary. Pay them, yeah. It sure isn't making it easy for. No, it's not. But you know, we've given some of our, I've given my staff, and we've given some of our clients some some very practical tips and some of the way to mitigate that because it it could be kind of frightening to think mm-hmm. about. You know, what if half of your staff gets sure. sick and goes home, and you have to pay them for next five to ten days? Yeah. Right. It's it's pretty frightening. Encouraging people and even requiring people to get tested quickly. I, I have known employees that have gotten sent home and they sent home and they lollygag about wanting to go get tested, and then they're in this 
you know, ongoing limbo status. So yeah. having people go get tested quickly. And then we live in a world where we typically don't like to encourage people to file like workers' compensation <laughs> claims. But if somebody truly does get sick as a result of work, it's probably in everybody's best interests to get a work comp claim filed, both because the person would be take, taken care of from uh, getting medical care perspective, as well as replacement wages. And once mm. they were to start collecting, say, either work comp benefits if it's work-related or disability benefits from the state if it's not work-related, then the employer's obligation to keep paying people goes away. So we're living in times where things are a little upside down from that how we upside. normally think yeah. about them. Is there, um, not my um, not my ballywick, um, is there a deductible, like a certain amount of days before a worker's comp? Uh, worker's comp is typically three days, um, and state disability is typically seven. Now, the governor issued an executive order last year that for COVID cases waived that seven-day wait for disability. That has expired, and there's question mark about whether he would reinstitute that or not. I think that when a lot of these laws that got passed, as I was talking about, 2020, 2021, many of them had sunset dates sometime in 2021. September 30th was a big date around the yeah. country where a lot of things went away because we all thought we'd be done, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now that we're dealing with Omicron and, yeah. you know, a new peak and a new wave, uh, there is a lot of chatter out there about both on the federal and state level, perhaps putting some of these benefits and protections back in place. Yeah. Now, you mentioned March uh, 20, and we're two months away from that, from, from being from two, two years. two years, I know. And by this time, two years ago, we were already hearing. We were hearing, yeah. It wasn't serious yet, but we were hearing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, the exemptions does do those hold water? Are people of able to avoid vaccinations with valid exemptions, and what yeah, are valid exemptions? A, let's let's circle back to that. So, currently, let's at least talk about in California. While there is no requirement that an employer has to mandate vaccinations, employers are able to do that. At least in California, other states put aside for a minute because other, other states have taken more proactive steps to prevent employers from being able to have a vaccination mandate, at least in private sector and non-healthcare. In California and the, and the federal EEOC, you know, has told us that employers are permitted to have vaccination mandate policies. If you as an employer want to require all of your employees and candidates that are applying to work for you to be vaccinated, you can do so. But it's with a big caveat that if somebody comes forward and says they have either a sincerely held religious belief or a disability, a medical or mental disability that would prevent them from getting vaccinated, you have a legal obligation to accommodate that. And what does that mean? We don't know. What that means is you have to at least engage in what they call the interactive process, have a dialogue, figure out, maybe, Bart, if you don't want to get vaccinated and you work for me and we, you and I both find it completely reasonable that you could just go work from home and you wouldn't have to interface with anybody and that would keep you happy for whatever your reasons are and yeah. it would keep everybody safe. That could be a perfectly reasonable accommodation. The accommodation that everyone is talking about is do you make somebody get tested weekly? And that's what President Biden's plan would have provided for. Yeah. So I'm going to mandate vaccinations for my employees and if you don't want to get vaccinated, then you have to take a test weekly. Well, Tests are hard to come by these days. That's one challenge. Tests are not 100% effective. That's another challenge. But with right now, where we are with Omicron and the, sh the, the 
highly contagibility, which is not a word. I just made that up. <laughs> um, and the fact that it spreads much more quickly. There are a lot of people that, and, and attorneys and, and scholarly folks and doctors that I've talked to that have said, you know, a weekly testing where we stand right now is not really a reasonable accommodation because that probably won't really reasonably keep COVID out of our workplace. So for an employer that wants to put in place any kind of vaccination requirements, it's a pretty complex um, thought process to go through about how hard are your roles going to be, what are the outs, if any, what what are the procedures. It, it's tough. And, and I tell you, one of the most difficult ones is people coming forward saying that they have a religious um, objection to getting a vaccination. Yeah, how do you either verify or... Yeah, I guess verify that that's some are, a thing. Some people are choosing to just say, hey, if you tell me it's a religious objection, I'm not going to challenge you on it. Yeah. And that's fine. You're perfectly permitted to do that. The EEOC, the federal EEOC, has really surprised us because um, they're usually very protective of you can't ask people things. Yeah. They've given us some directives about just how far you can go. And, and it's been surprising. You can challenge somebody if it doesn't seem to you that it is a sincerely held religious belief. You could ask them to describe their beliefs. (laughs) You could actually ask for documentation from a religious leader. Isn't that shocking? That is shocking. Yeah, I told you, we live upside down right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I frankly know a lot of people who have whatever reasons might be not want to be vaccinated and have decided that they would just call it a religious request for accommodation and it it can be it can be hard to to challenge somebody on that my stepson he's probably going to listen to this one day but when he was a teenager and getting into trouble um with some things he was going to start his own religion and he thought that that was going to have some kind of corollary between his utilization of marijuana and going to get him exempted from certain things that otherwise people weren't (laughs) exempted from back then yeah so had he come forward to me at that time, I probably would have said, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a sincerely sincere. held religious belief. But I'm just trying to think it's of It's a what, serious topic. Oh, I don't mean to be taking no, it lightly. No, I think but it's, it's okay. Um, there's you know, a couple of religions come to mind that might have this as part of their criteria. And I'm wondering the conversion rate to those religions right now. Well, you know, that's really a great question because in the beginning of this whole thing, we thought that was you know, potentially a question because yeah. there, there really aren't many, but there are a few organized yeah. religions that one of their tenants is, yeah. you know, restriction of medical care vaccinations. I will use the Catholic Church for an example. The Pope has told people to go get vaccinated, right? So it's not yeah. a tenant of the Catholic faith not to get vaccinated, but someone who feels that because of their personal beliefs as a Catholic that it would somehow oh. be inappropriate. That would have to be, we've been told by the EEOC, yeah. that would have to be respected. So we're getting back into the dark gray. We're way into the gray. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting right. stuff. We're going to title the show The Gray Show. The Gray Show. I like that. Show of gray. The show of gray. We've got to be careful, though, because that might have some other connotations. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, we pretty much shot through time. Um, is there? Yeah, it always goes by quickly when you're, you have something interesting. Um, any closing comments, anything? Yeah, the one like thing to... I would probably want to share as a takeaway with, you know, your, your audience is that we, we talked about other states and the rules being so tremendously different. Uh, it's, we're living in a time where we're getting phone calls once a day from an employer that accommodated people wanting to work from home and home might be Kansas as I was using mm-hmm. before or Texas or God knows where. 
And we've had clients say, well, we'll just keep them on our California payroll, right? And we apply all the rules in California. Well, the minute you allow someone to somewhat permanently go work from someplace else, you've just opened up shop as a company in that state and you need a business license and you have to set up payroll and you have to pay taxes and you have local laws that you have to comply with. So the number of companies that have in the last two years expanded intentionally or <laughs> unintentionally become a nationwide multi-state company, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And I, don't, I think it's a trend that we're not going to back off of completely. Yeah. The pendulum will center a little bit, but it swung very far. It will come back to center. But I, I think the days of companies restricting everybody to have to work from your quote unquote offices in your one location are probably pretty much gone. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, Lorraine, thank you so much for covering oh, the time. We can't talk for another hour. This has been fun. Oh, I'm sure we could. We could. Yeah, but then we'd have to break out the wine. So. Yeah, and then it just never ends well. Uh, exactly. We'd, we'd embarrass ourselves. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you. This was a great amount of information, and I'm sure the listeners, listeners are going to be very um, happy with this. And, Fabulous. Uh, Happy Hopefully to be a resource. Get them out of the gray. As you can tell, I care about this stuff. So yes, yes. you do immensely. Thank you so much, Bert, right. for the invitation. All Pleasure. Right. Thanks for all who tuned in. We look forward to be back in the studio next week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.